Our first reading today comes to us from the first 14 verses of Psalm 145. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall laud your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. The might of your awesome deeds shall be proclaimed and I will declare your greatness. They shall celebrate the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your faithful shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. To make known to all people your mighty needs and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The Lord, <laughs> the word of the Lord.
Let's go home. That was it. <laughs> how, do you, how do you, uh, maybe I should have put him somewhere else in the thermos. Uh, um, that was amazing. Thank you both very much. Our second reading this morning, uh, that sort of existential one-on-one relationship with God feeling about which Rayvon just sang so beautifully, uh, Perfect, as we lead into this, uh, these verses from the early part of the book of First Kings in the Old Testament in the Hebrew biblical tradition. Uh, in this part of the, the story of ancient Israel, um, King Solomon has just, just been coronated, so to speak. Um, uh, he was, as I mentioned to the kids earlier, the son of King David and also the son of Bathsheba. So the king of Israel, the, to lead God's people, is uh, the result of, you know, very human interactions and falling in love and other things. Uh, and that's how the story goes as we move through history. It's one of the reasons why the Bible is truer than we probably think it is. I, I talk about real people doing real things, making real mistakes, and at the same time loving and living and, and being as faithful as they can. So... Uh, this is uh, just after the succession has been determined and Solomon has taken his place as king. He's married a uh, daughter of a pharaoh in Egypt in order to kind of solidify uh, the balance of power in the region. And as a young new king, as I mentioned earlier, Solomon is rightly terrified. Listen now for what the Spirit then is saying to you and to the church in our second reading from 1 Kings Chapter 3, starting at verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give to you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on this throne today. 
And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I am only a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts together on this, your word, O God, give us a discerning mind and an open heart. Amen. I've been having trouble sleeping, so I'm catching up on my binge watching, nothing else to do. You get to the point where you're too tired to read a book, but you're not too tired to sort of sit on the couch and click around. That's what I do, I click around. Um, I go in cycles, maybe you do too. I'm sort of terrified of bad sleepless nights because as a kid it happened to me a lot, so I will often stay up too late, get so exhausted I can't help but fall asleep but then be too tired in the morning because I have to get up, I've got this job thing I have to do, right? Uh, Have you ever lost sleep because you were afraid of or nervous about what tomorrow holds? tossing and turning with worry and anxiety. Sometimes you don't even know exactly what it is, but you end up watching the clock tick, 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 tick. You get the point? If you've ever had a night like that, then this Bible passage is for you. As I've said, we all know a little bit about Solomon. He's wise. People bring difficult, uh, kind of like Judge Judy or Judge Wapner, but on a grander scale. Uh, people bring their cases to him and as a king, and, he, and there are a couple of very famous moments where he dispenses justice and demonstrates his wisdom, Solomon. Um, he was King David's son. He was successor to David, uh, who succeeded Saul. There was a short little interlude where a guy named Ishbosheth was king between Saul and David, but Ishbosheth because, probably because his name was so hard to pronounce, didn't last long as king. And then David, we all know about him. It's kind of interesting that in his prayer, Saul calls, call, calls his, father, his father David righteous. I don't know about that one. But he was faithful, that's for sure, uh, King David. Um, king Solomon had uh, a reign of almost around 40 years, actual 40 years, uh, of prosperity and peace. Um, and, of course, historically, we've attributed that time of peace and tranquility and, and prosperity in his, in his reign to his wisdom. And today, this little text from 1 Kings tells us how Solomon got that way, how he became so wise. And if we're listening, we can maybe find out how we might move a little bit toward being smart to being 
wiser, to living a life more guided by true wisdom. As I've said already to the children, Solomon started out his rule by being afraid, very afraid. In fact, Proverbs 9, uh, and Proverbs, by the way, is the wisdom book in the Bible. Uh, Greek word for wisdom, no seminarians may respond. Sophia, right? The divine in this particular part of the Jewish Hebrew biblical tradition Sophia, another name for God, is a feminine name. Just a little, uh, something to chew on there. Um, The beginning of wisdom, the beginning of Sophia, is the fear of the Lord, it is said. Um, I'm not sure fear of the Lord is what I want to talk about today, or what I mean as I help you and work together with you to interpret this text, but maybe it is. Let's think about it. Fear is the beginning of wisdom. Fear whether we like it or not, is a familiar friend, or at least companion, to most of us, all of us, really. Um, The the thing is, we think that fear is really our own personal friend, but the truth is, fear is everybody's friend. Do you ever have a friend that, when they they meet somebody else, another friend of yours, and they become friends, you're happy, but you're kind of resentful, too, because that's my friend. Well, fear is everybody's friend. Fear is in everybody's house, in everybody's head, Thich Nhat Hanh, who was this amazing spiritual leader and and taught at Union Seminary in New York and recently passed away, had this amazing quote, people have a hard time letting go of their suffering out of a fear of the unknown. All people prefer suffering because it feels familiar. Our fear of the unknown helps us to stay, drives us to stay attached and committed to our, our suffering. I think as we read this text this morning from 1 Kings about this young guy, King Solomon, who felt ill-equipped to face the challenges ahead of him and was willing to face that reality, to admit that reality, we can get a sense of how we can use fear, the fear that's going to come no matter what, uh, as a way of living our lives more deeply, more wholly, more abundantly. Solomon like all of us, carried his own heavy private burdens. Like all of us, Solomon was worried about the future, so haunted, in fact, about what might happen, about whether he was going to make the right moves, that he was at his wit's end. And maybe we should remember that when we observe people whose lives seem to be easier than our own. If we look at wealthier people or celebrities or athletes or whatever, I think about the fact, and I try to remind my students from my my classes at seminary, that everybody out there, no matter how shiny they look, is carrying something heavy underneath. And our job as a pastor, as pastors, and frankly our job as a community of faith, is to keep that in mind and not always take what is said to us or done or not done uh, at face value. I think, for example, of one of my favorite artists who who just passed away, Sinead O'Connor. Just the other day, you know, people who carry these heavy, heavy burdens. Uh, Robin Williams, one of my friends in high school. These are people um, who had so much to offer still, uh, whose lives were cut short. Fear drives so much in our lives, and if we keep it in there and, and pretend like it's our own private uh, 
friend that we only we on our own have to deal with, then we often end up in a bad place. So our first takeaway this morning from Solomon's uh, prayer to God in this dream he has is that wisdom starts with fear. Facing it, facing its power over us, facing the fact that we don't know how to deal with it all the time, but also facing the truth that healing always starts with pain. New life always starts with labor, with challenge. Renewal, resurrection includes some kind of death, some kind of painful experience. Without letting go, we can't move forward. So Solomon's story reminds us that our inadequacy as human beings is God's opportunity to work through us. And especially in our culture, we're not good at confronting or admitting our inadequacies, especially even to ourselves. That's a tough lesson. We all would like to look more like winners, at least to the outside world or when we look in the mirror. And more importantly, I think, we all want to feel like winners. Have you ever... uh, seen a parking space in you know shop right parking lot exactly when somebody else sees it what's your first instinct right especially if i can tell they're methodist i want to get right in there and make sure they don't have any advantage over us it's human to be uncertain it's human to have fears and it is not a failure we would like to be i don't Kevin Bacon's first role, that guy's been in 800 million movies. You know what his first role was? Animal House. Right? Thank you, sir. May I have another? Ask me about it later. But at the end of the movie, when chaos is reigning, this very uptight guy in this uptight fraternity, he's like this little kid. He couldn't be more than 18. He's screaming, all is well. All is well. When all is obviously not well. Right? That's what we tend to do. We like to act like it's in control, and we don't have it in control. You pick up the story this morning in this uh, first, in the third chapter of First Kings, um, when Solomon finds himself uh, in a place of gratitude. Uh, how do you get there from fear? I was looking at photos on my phone the other day, and I saw uh, photos of a trip that the kids and, I, and Sarah and I took a couple years ago, or ten years ago or so, to Yosemite National Park in California. Have anybody been there? It's pretty amazing, pretty amazing place. And my favorite photo was of my favorite part of Yosemite National Park, which is this giant rock called Half Dome. It's as if uh, someone took you know, like a giant watermelon, cut it in half, laid the dome down, and then chopped that in half, and you have this sheer 2,000-foot-high rock face. And getting to the top of that rock face, for those who are insane enough to try it, is not an easy task. Even teams with ropes and belays and carboners and carabiner, whatever they're called, all that climbing stuff, it's very, very difficult. But there are free solo climbers who climb Half Dome. And they are like nuts. Um, And there's this documentary that I was looking at recently about a guy named Alex Hunold, who was uh, and is still a famous free climber, and his solo attempt one time of Half Dome's, that sheer rock face. He'd done it before, and he's done it since. But this particular climb, 
about three quarters of the way up, the greatest free climber in the world did what we all do at certain moments in our lives, depending on how tired we are or distracted we are or whatever's going on. Alex Hunold, three quarters of the way up Half Dome, froze in fear, which is not a good place and time to do it. Everywhere he looked around him was this sheer, vertical, almost completely smooth rock face. One wrong step, one uncertain foothold, one tired finger, one mistake, and it would be over. But about 18,000, sorry, 1,800 feet up the face of Half Dome, that's 18 football fields, is a ledge. It's almost like, it looks like someone built it. It's really smooth, and it's about a, anywhere from 12 to 15-inch horizontal ledge that's just on the face of Half Dome. And they call it the Thank God Ledge. And Alex had made it, fortunately, before he froze, to the Thank God Ledge. And for five long minutes, it says in the documentary, Alex, maybe the world's most accomplished free climber, stood on the Thank God ledge and he couldn't move. He was struggling to get his fear under control as best he could and figure out his next move. And with his legs cramping and his mind racing, Alex turned around and felt his way toward the closest rock that was jutting out a little bit from Half Dome's, again, almost smooth face. And Alex pushed himself up toward that tiny rock and then to the next one, to the next crevice, and eventually, after catching himself, it's like in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, he came to himself, and then he went on with his life. Alex eventually climbed his way the last 200 feet or so to safety. Now, I will never climb Half Dome, never. But it's not hard to imagine how he felt in that moment because in my own way, and I'm sure in yours as well, we all know what it was like to stand there on, thank God, ledge. It's a combination you and I know all too well, alone and afraid. Afraid of what's going to happen, afraid that we're going to make the wrong move, afraid that we'll make the mistakes of the past, that the pain of the past, the solitude and loneliness of the past will come again. Afraid of what the future might bring if we get out of this place, of this familiar feeling, as my pastor used to call it, that old familiar feeling. It's not great, but it's a friend. So that second takeaway this morning is that if wisdom starts with fear, then our fear, our weakness, is what makes room for God's power, God's presence, God's love to go to work in our lives. And that's really what makes King Solomon wise in this text this morning. He allows his fear to flow into gratitude. That prayer, that moment, in this case a dream, as it's told, that's his thank God ledge. Alex the climber got there, Solomon gets there. Our task in a life of faith is not to solve all of our problems or to banish our fears. Our task is to find our thank God ledge so that we can live through our fear on into wisdom. That's worship, that's prayer, that's doing something for people outside of our pretty tightly private realm of self-interest, 
And not everybody does those things. But that can really be that ledge from which we can gather ourselves and move forward. In a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, a pastor by the name of Jim Cimbala, who was pastor at the time of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, recalls his two years of ministry at that church as a time of frustration and exhaustion and anxiety. That's what a ministry can be like. <laughs> Not here, of course. Um, think about your profession. What if everybody you worked with was a volunteer and could just walk away anytime they wanted? Uh, I'll leave, leave that with you. <laughs> <laughs> right? It can be challenging uh, in a certain way. Um, uh, at the Brooklyn Tabernacle, unlike this church, attendance was low, and they were barely making uh, ends meet financially. And Pastor Jim and his wife Carol were working all the time. And worse, they didn't see God at work in their congregation or their personal lives the way they expected which I do think is a huge source of anxiety and fear for most people, right? We are pretty sure we know what God should be doing, and when God doesn't do it the way we think God should be doing it, it stresses us out a lot. One day, Pastor Jim was so depressed about his life and what was going on that he got up to preach a sermon and decided he just couldn't preach it, and he admitted that to the congregation. Now, I know it sounds good, but that wasn't how it's supposed to be there. Uh, and when Pastor Jim admitted to the congregation that he was, his life was just too much right there for him even to go on in his preaching, and when he asked his congregation members, those who were worshiping there that morning at Brooklyn Tabernacle, simply instead of listening to a sermon to come forward and pray with him, when he was willing to admit that his love for God and his trust in God alone hadn't solved all of his problems, and when he gave everyone else by so doing to admit that they are in the same place too in their own way, that they were afraid, they were frustrated, they were exhausted, when they all stopped pretending, in other words, which is a giant temptation in a church or any community, but especially a community of faith, um, when they were all willing just to be human, that community, that church, started what Goodall he described later as a spiritual awakening, which continues to this day at Brooklyn Tabernacle, all out of an admission, finally, of their fear and anxiety and their stress and their inability to solve those problems on their own. Pastor Simbala would later write of that night. That they have, by the way, they have services Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening. So it could be worse. Just want to throw that out there. Uh, he wrote, I discovered an astonishing truth. God is attracted to weakness because weakness, whether we welcome it or whether we don't, is honest. And God won't ignore those who honestly and humbly admit how desperately they need him. Our weakness, in fact, makes room for God's love which is his power. Solomon found his own, thank God, ledge, that own quiet space to ask in this prayer today for a discerning heart and the ability to distinguish right from wrong. The Hebrew word here for discerning, what Solomon asked God for, really, is, 
I think better tra uh, translated as listening, a listening heart, an open heart. And that is what makes Solomon so wise. Not his brains, not the fact that he was good at Jeopardy, or all the 50 state capitals. Just the fact that he was willing to face fear, to be grateful, and to ask for an open heart. May God bless us as we seek to live into Solomon's example and to be wise like that. We are so human. We're so constricted by our limits, by our shortcomings, by our frustrations, by the limitations of our horizons. We're so wrapped up in worry and fear, and we rationalize all the things we do because of that fear. You know, we're being responsible. I'm, you know, I'm investing. I'm being. I'm going to make sure that I have what I need. You know, life is going to throw a curve. That's the one thing you can count on. Our daily lives are not meant to be safe. They are meant to be a pure and unwavering reflection of God's character and purpose for this world and for our lives. That's why you and I were born. That's why our children were born. And if you don't believe me, if you don't think that's what human beings are meant, think about your children or the people you love the most or what you feel like when you're with those people. That's what life is intended to be like. That's the Garden of Eden, as they say, right? When things are in balance. And if we try to live that life alone, governed and trapped by our fears, not opening our hearts and minds to the will and the way of God, which is inscrutable and frustrating and challenging, and yet the only real answer. If we do that, then we're going to keep being trapped, and we're never going to get off that thank God ledge, even if we're lucky enough to make it. When, like Solomon, you and I are willing to pray, which is simply to be vulnerable for a listening heart, by doing that, we're simply turning our lives over to the one who made us in the first place. We do that every Sunday morning. We begin with confession for a reason, to remind ourselves that we can't experience what Rayvon sings or Anne Marie plays or even the pastor says in trying to be messengers of this good news. We can't do it until we face who we are. We belong to God. We don't belong just to ourselves. We are born to be in this relationship which makes us truly and completely happy. And when we do that, like Solomon, God's going to surprise us. God will add God's awesome power and love to our average abilities to make something in your life perfect and unique and miraculous and accomplish more things through you and us than we could ever possibly imagine. Amen. Please pray with me. God of love, we give you thanks for the gift of wisdom and open hearts and minds so that we might know that to get there, we have to go through the root of fear and gratitude first. Help us to be willing to do that. Help us, Lord, even to look for opportunities to do that, that we might stay as close to you as we possibly can, knowing always that your steadfast love is waiting for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.